Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where you are or where you're going. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. This is another episode of the Dirks in Denver podcast. I'm Dirks with my co-host Denver. And today, it's Monday, February 8th, 2021. It's the Monday after Super Bowl 55. And we're going to talk a lot about that. We're also going to get into the NFL honors and the halftime show from last night's game a little bit later, so stick around for that. But primarily, right now, we're going to talk about Super Bowl 55. Let's get right into it. Denver, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am doing okay. Uh, I wish the outcome would have been better last night. But it is what it is. The better team won last night even though I, I wanted the Chiefs to win. But I'm doing I'm doing well this morning. I'm I'm glad that we're doing this relatively quickly. Yeah, absolutely. We're uh we let it sit for give or take twelve hours and and now we're here. We uh we both wanted to take some time, take a couple notes on the game and let our let our thoughts kinda settle and not have any, you know, not kind of knee jerk reactions to it. But we're just going to start right there. I think, all right, we're back. Had to cut for some technical difficulties, but we're going to resume right where we left off. Denver had just said that the Bucs were better, and I could not agree more. Last night, it really came down to the Buccaneers, pretty much on all counts, were just simply better than the Chiefs. They were seemingly more prepared. They were more physical. their individual talents made more plays than the Chiefs. However, for me, I don't believe that it decided the game. However, the way the game was officiated just put a permanent stain on the game for me. It it didn't feel good, especially in the first half. We'll get into the, the officiating part a little later. But that's that's kind of my 10,000-foot view of this game. Bucks were better, but I'm always going to just have a bad taste in the back of my mouth uh, based on, on how the game was officiated. How about you? Um, for me, it was more... The officiating was bad. Like, I agree with you there. But the one thing that stuck out to me was the lack of energy I felt the Chiefs came out with. I felt like from the first penalty they got last night, it just set the tone. I felt like they 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 couldn't run what I call just run and hopefully catch the ball offense. So that that hurt them a lot. So the lack of energy really stumbled. Plus you're playing against Tom freaking Brady. Like man's not nervous about these anymore. It's like he's been married seven times. He just knows the day. It's fine. So it's hard. I I do think the Bucks defense though, they should have been the real MVP. They they stepped up big. They didn't blitz a whole lot, which was shocking. So it was all that front pressure and that made a huge difference. One one of my notes I have is that the O-line adjustments and the injury of Eric Fisher really ended up hurting the Chiefs overall in the grand scheme because then you have to shuffle around linemen. Your best lineman isn't even available. Who I thought if, if Eric Fisher was available, at least the edge pressure probably would have been put off a little bit. 
So give or take, that's that's how I would put my ten thousand foot view of this overall game. No, I, I agree. Let's let's stick on that for a little bit. For our video audience, I'm gonna throw up on the screen right now. Here's the, the ESPN page for last night's game. We're gonna get into some other stuff too. As you as Denver was talking about, um, the offensive line troubles for the Chiefs really made Mahomes job. I mean, I'm going to say next to impossible. I mean, that dude was running for his life. That's not the style of play that the Chiefs are used to at all. You know, they're used to Mahomes, you know, ad-libbing a little bit. But I have a, I have a, a tweet out here, right? And uh, I think it's this one. If you just look at this from Sports Center, according to Next Gen Stats, Patrick Mahomes ran a total of 497 yards before his passes and sacks last night in the Super Bowl. That's insane. The dude was under pressure all night long. I mean, that's credit to the Bucks defense, no doubt. But as you also hinted at, right? I mean, the offensive line was just in shambles. I went and did a little further digging last night because I, I knew vaguely the the situation, but I didn't realize quite how bad it was. From their opening day starters this year, when they played the Texans back in early September, only two of the five offensive linemen who started that game made it to the Super Bowl, and that was... Austin Ritter, the the center, and Wiley, who ended up starting at one of the tackle spots last night. I believe he was with the right tackle, but he normally plays. I believe it's right guard. And yes. you could you could also then take it one step further, and while Wiley was their starter, I believe all season when he was healthy, he wouldn't have even been the starter had. Uh, a very impactful opt out as it would would happen. Uh, Laurent Duvernay Tardif, their their normal, oh yeah, their normal right guard. Obviously, what he's doing up in Canada, very noble. We're not gonna we're not gonna you know chastise him for for opting out. I think he did it for the right reasons. But that meant that only one guy who would have started for the Chiefs all season, if if things were normal, only one of their five offensive linemen made it to the Super Bowl. And that's just not a recipe for success. Um, one 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 of my notes here because we we started you started talking about how the Mahomes stat of running 497 yards before getting tackled for a sack or possession loss, whatever, mm-hmm. is Mahomes just kept trying. At one point in that game, especially in the second half, I really looked over and I Grammy, who is my girlfriend's grandma. Uh, we were always, we were watching the game, and I said it just looks like the entire offense just doesn't care, and Mahomes is the only one trying to to come out on that top. Mahomes kept going as hard as he could, and I give that man absolute credit. A lot of people probably would have felt defeated at that point, but he just kept going. I there was a picture on Twitter. I wish I would have saved it and sent it, but it's the he's like diving out completely, like stretched out. And he's throwing the ball like that's that's some intense like leadership, like never giving up. And I just felt like that offense 
really was given up at, near the end of that game. It, no doubt that uh, I give a lot of credit to Pat Mahomes because, you know, he was obviously under fire all night, playing with a turf toe, as reported several times. You know, that's not – that's got to not be fun. You know, he's he's less mobile than normal anyway, and to have to do what he did, I give him a lot of credit. I'm not trying to make any real excuses for the Chiefs, but to not acknowledge the fact that the game might have been a little different if, you know, the, the offensive line could hold up a little better, I think that would, uh, you know, that would be an understatement right there. Uh, on that same vein, I'm kind of afraid, not, maybe not afraid, but um, I, I can't help but worry that the lo- in the long term this is this part of the game is going to be forgotten right it's going to be about it's going to be remembered for Brady's seventh ring which great accomplishment since we haven't uh, talked on it already Brady getting a seventh ring I mean he if he wasn't already the greatest team sport athlete in the history of North American sports I think he's he's got that title now and it doesn't look like he's going to slow down anytime soon either and that's absolutely terrifying <laughs> for the rest of the league but more so than anything that the bucks did i felt like the chiefs beat themselves and it started right up with that uh with that offensive line struggling just one quick note it's it's one of my notes just because you mentioned it but i literally have here that brady is the greatest across all sports at this point yeah, that man's probably gonna get a. He could very well get another ring. First off, at forty-four years old, like that's insane. But the man just doesn't stop, like you said. It's it's just impressive. It's there's 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 no other way to put it. There's really not not yeah. words. We're gonna. I have a couple other um, tweets to share with the audience that just kind of put illustrate our our point even further. And now that I've fixed the screen, so for our video watchers, I apologize. There was some technical difficulties on that that last time I shared the the uh, screen like this. But we're back. A tweet from uh, Roger Sherman, who uh, works for The Ringer, uh, a news organization I follow quite closely. Mahomes has thrown the seven best incompletions in NFL history tonight. <laughs> That's really what it felt like uh, on yeah. top, on top of the fact that he was running for his life. He had some, I feel like very untimely drops. You think very early in that game, uh, Tyreek Hill dropped one that was uh, on, in the front corner of the end zone. That would have been six points where it, it, he, he kind of got both hands on it, but let it go and just hit him right in the mouth. And then another one on, I think it was third down shortly thereafter, Kelsey dropped a big one that would have extended a drive that hurt. And then the the last one that really stands out to me was early in that fourth quarter when the Chiefs, like it was their last kind of real opportunity to get themselves back in that game. Uh, Darrell Williams dropped uh, a pass very similar to the Tyreek Hill one. I think it like hit him. I think it went through his hands and hit him like right, right in the, the neck, right in the neck or the helmet. Yeah, on on fourth down, and, and they turned the ball back over on downs to the Bucks, and and from there it was it was really over. You know, um, Jim Nance and, and Tony Romo did their best to try to 
keep some drama in it. And like, they really milked that thing. But after that possession early in the fourth quarter, when the chiefs were still down three possessions, everyone knew that it was over. It was going to be a tall task to begin with. But after that, there there was absolutely no hope uh, for the chiefs to come back in that game. You mentioned uh, Tony Romo. And I loved it last night. We were sitting here, and Tony Romo like four times said, if there was ever a chance to have a comeback, it's right now, <laughs> starting in the third quarter. <laughs> Announcing at its finest. I, I absolutely love Jim Nance and Tony Romo, but last night wasn't really the game they wanted to call. I know that for a fact. They didn't want to call a blowout because there's, there's just no drama left in it, right? It really kind of limits you from a broadcast standpoint. I get it. Here's some more just – just to really drive home the point, because again, I don't want this to be forgotten because as well as the Bucks played and the Bucks would have won almost no matter what, I'm going to say like 95 times out of a hundred, you play that game. I think the Bucks win just, just due to the circumstances, but Brady was only pressured on about 10% of dropbacks in the first half. Mahomes 57 for the game. Mahomes was pressured on 29 out of 56 dropbacks, which was the most in Super Bowl history. And Brady was pressured on 4 out of 30, which was, out of his 10 appearances, the least he's ever been pressured. And I really appreciate Mina Kimes, who's also a really great journalist. Love what she does. Um, I should add, some of Mahomes' high-pressure numbers are a product of him holding onto the ball for a long time, which is a product of both good coverage and also because he was bailing on trash pockets. Everything feeds on each other, etc., etc. And then another stat that she she quote-tweeted from a Pro Football Focus member, love what they do as well, Mahomes was under pressure in 2.5 seconds or less on 24 plays, which was 43% of his dropbacks apparently. And for Brady, it was just three such plays. That was another thing that, you know, a lot of people were going to say, well, he was running around like an idiot and like just wouldn't get rid of the ball. Well, he was running around like an idiot almost from the jump on all of those occasions. So that's really not an argument in my mind. It was just a rough, rough game all around for the Chiefs offense. They never really got their rhythm going like we're, we're used to seeing them. And it showed because I don't think anyone would have guessed the uh, the final score would be 31-9 to for either side in this game. One thing I want to mention as we continue, you you're, these stats you're pulling up, uh, specifically with Tom Brady uh, being pressured only 4 out of 30 times. One thing I could not get over last night was how bad the actual Chiefs defense is. I said this all year to Grammy. When we'd watch the games on Sunday, I said that the Chiefs are super good. They're super talented, but their defense is horrendous overall. It's it's not good, like, at all. I saw every Chiefs game this year because I live in this area, so we get every single game. And their defense was poor, and it showed last night how bad it truly is. I told Grammy... And you'll hear me say that a lot this podcast. I kept telling Grammy, if I was the Chiefs front office, I would spend every last dime in free agency on getting defensive players. I would draft defensive players. Like, that would be my goal. Well, that's the tough part, right? Is, I mean, we acknowledged as much on Wednesday when we recorded kind of our, our preview 
episode that obviously the Chiefs aren't known for their for their defensive effort, right? They have they have some really good players, you know, Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew come to mind as they're I mean they're they're all world talents, but everywhere else you have what what are probably like replacement level and below. And in the long term that's just not sustainable. Um you saw it last night when you especially when you give an offense uh, with Tom Brady on it, especially again, two weeks to prepare for a defense that really isn't ultra complicated, isn't super stout, you know, doesn't have studs all over the place on on defense. They're gonna have an attempt, you know, a really good attempt to solve you, and that's exactly what the combination of of Brady and uh, Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich did. Like they absolutely unlocked that defense. It. There, for most of the, the middle two quarters, it didn't even look like the Bucks were really trying to move the ball down the field. They were just doing it effortlessly. And that, that can't happen. You know, it's not, it's not quite like it was a year ago when the, when the Chiefs were able to, to kind of buckle down and get the stops they needed down the stretch against San Francisco. I mean, this is the, this is the greatest offense of all time, or greatest player of all time leading a very capable offense rather and it, you just, you just wanna, can't get away with that one thing i want to mention when this really started to pick up like in the game like the the buccaneers aggressiveness is this little feud between brady and tyron matthew i'll say this i've never seen brady chase after another guy like the way he did tyron matthew he he was going for him he he Tyron said some smack to him, and Brady said, okay, like, you really want to do this? You're 5'8". I'm the greatest quarterback of all time. Like, I'm going to throw the ball constantly at you and get you upset and irritated and make you do stupid things on defense, pass interference calls, etc. So that is one thing that I... I was totally shocked by the aggressiveness that Tom Brady came out. When people came up to him, he he stepped up. Not saying he ever not he never did that, never not did that. But he just you saw it last night, right? You saw you saw that little little bickering that really once that started, you saw the Buccaneers just their offense just go nuts. Now some of the penalties caused that, but Brady was rolling after that. Yeah, that moment you spoke of just now with with Brady and Tyran Matthew kind of getting at it there toward the end of the second quarter, I think that's a perfect kind of transition point to start talking about a little bit of the the weird officiating in this game, if, if you're ready to move on to that. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so what I want to point out is obviously we can't hear what's being said in that moment, right? But it, you know, Tyron Matthew doesn't shove Brady or any of the Bucks players, and conversely, Brady doesn't shove Tyron Matthew or any of the Chiefs players. And it looks like they're just, you know, they're they're mouthing off to each other. But somehow they call a unsportsmanlike conduct on Matthew that really didn't end up meaning anything, right? But it, that was a confusing penalty to me. I just felt like the. As I mentioned earlier, the refs tried to make, or well, maybe they weren't actively trying, but they made this game way 
too much about what what they were doing, especially in that first half. I have the I have the number here. It was something like um, some at one point the Chiefs were penalized nine times for a hundred yards to yep. the to the Bucks one penalty for five yards. And yep, I'm, was, I'm not saying that was when I said it was over. I'm not saying it was rigged or anything like that. People that say that it, it it's just hyperbolic, but it, it just felt weird to me, especially a lot of these, um, a lot of these instances where the Chiefs got called for holding or PI like three times on a drive, and I'm not saying they weren't penalties, but some of them felt really kind of, uh, I don't know, trivial. And the thing that I can't shake is when Mahomes is running around for his life and keeps the play alive for you know eight, nine, ten seconds. Are you really telling me that on the back end the Bucks are absolutely perfect the whole time too? Like that. that... Well, and here's one thing that that drove me up the wall. There was a pass interference call last night on like a Mike at he threw it yep, deep to I Mike have, Evans. I know and... exactly what you're talking about. And before you move on, I'm just gonna pull it up on the screen. It's right here. A tweet from Warren Sharp. I love this man. Listen to him for a lot of betting advice. He's on. He's on several podcasts. Are you fucking telling me this was a catchable pass? We'll just play, no, play this real quick. Yards. I don't know who the fuck is catching that football. I, you know, we see all these on Sunday Night Football, especially the, the Amazon Web Service, uh, next-gen stats, like catch probability and stuff like that. I wish AWS would fucking tell me how... Anyone, anyone is going to catch that ball. Impossible. I don't. Is he 20 feet tall? Like, is he just like, really? No, the one I'm talking about was, I think the one right before it, where he threw it like 50 yards down the field. And okay, that that, that was, I think that was P.I. Personally, I think that was P.I. Oh, really? Yes. Really? Okay, because here, you, what you don't understand is when contact was made, it was like, you know, a half second before the ball gets there. Mike Evans is a big dude and a long strider. If they said it on broadcast too, I agree. I mean, he's striding, you know, like three, four yards at a time. Um, and if he lays out for that, that's a very catchable ball. I think it is because the, the defender probably took him back at least three or four yards, a full step at least. And the ball wasn't overthrown by, you know, it, it wasn't 15 yards. It wasn't something egregious. I think it, he could have, I'm not saying he would have made the catch. I'm saying he had the opportunity to at least make a play on the ball. And that's that's the intent of the rule. So I, I, I will well, defend the refs on the that. it's just the bias one. in me. It's just the bias in me then. But the, the the play you have up right now, it's it's exactly what you're what you're saying. I oh, don't know who oh. who's catching that. I don't know. Now, like you, you can't tell the really the distance. You can approximate, right? The distance between the, the back of the end zone and yeah. here. But this ball hits the wall. Well, it, it short hops the wall. It basically lands at the base of the wall. I mean, that's probably like at least five, six yards out of bounds. I mean, right here, the ball's not even in the frame. I mean... 
the Bulls, even with the goalpost, Mike Evans is going to have to absolutely moss Tyran Matthew to even make a, an attempt. At, like I, that's no, I I disagree completely on this one, and and this that was pretty much the the final straw because that led to the Bucks' final touchdown there before the half, and we saw it in Green Bay two weeks ago. If you are letting this offense pretty much get free possessions, like the the Chiefs. Clock management was a little questionable there. They they gifted Tampa Bay a timeout on that final drive and stuff. But if you're giving them an opportunity to put seven more points on the board right here before the half, that just that really it felt like the end. And I'm sure if you we go and look at like the win probability here, uh, I mean this has got to be yeah, right here. I mean they were almost 90% to win at halftime like that, that it switched insane. it switched it from you know low 70s or more to 90 90 plus it that was that really was the defining drive of the game if the chiefs either do more than than kick a field goal on their drive right because i'm pretty sure that's what happened right before that yeah they kicked a field yep, goal yep. if they somehow get in the end zone there it's 10 to 14 and then you don't let them drive the field on you in 55 seconds and score a touchdown on their own the game might end up at least feeling a little different but it, it was it was a train wreck we'll, we'll just kind of leave it at that so one thing to transition into that's not about officiating that i really think was it's kind of not overlooked, but it's not talked about. I don't feel like it'll be talked about that much in this Super Bowl. Was actually how good the Bucks defense played. We talked about it prior to starting. The Bucks defense really played how they wanted to play. And Mahomes couldn't do anything. Like that was I saw like a defensive formation that I was like, what does this look like? It looked kind of funky to me. But it was just a four-man rush from the line. Everyone well, else played zone. I believe, uh, uh, and this could be could be wrong, but I believe that actually, like true blitz packages, Todd Bowles only ran like five all night long. Um, yes, four or so, five. So the majority of his pressures were with four man, four men or less, and that that again just goes back to highlight how depleted and how incapable the the front five of of the chiefs were last night but if you're at that on the other side of that to illustrate your point of you know the bucks defense wasn't going to let anything happen because if you're dropping seven men every time and you're getting instant pressure on the quarterback the quarterback's not gonna be able to do anything the the reason quarterbacks make plays off of blitzes and stuff is because usually it leaves a man open because you're you're blitzing five you're blitzing six some something crazy you know and that, that always leaves a a hole somewhere but the way the bucks were able to pressure Mahomes last night with only four dudes there was nothing he could do i one thing i thought was interesting and it was an unsportsmanlike call was the winfield deuces to, to tyreek at the end of the game what a what a ballsy ballsy thing to do, because that's I'm gonna tell you they have to play next year in the regular season because they they were in a matchup in the Super Bowl. 
that game's going to be stupid intense. What do you mean? Like, there's no way the NFL's not booking this. These like, guys won't. These guys won't play again for four years, unless it's in the Super Bowl. Okay, that's weird then, because I I heard. Okay, I again again maybe it's just me hearing something wrong through the gay friend, but I thought the previous Super Bowl matchup ended up having to play the following year during the regular season. I don't think at so. some point. Huh? Huh? I know at some point the NFL's talked about. You know how like it's it's rotating like, you know the. Like this year, the divisions, yeah, the Steelers and the AFC North played all of the NFC East. Now I know at some point the NFL is talking about reducing the amount of in-conference games, and then they're gonna add. You're gonna always like it's gonna be that rotating basis with one other division in the opposite conference, but they're also gonna add two game. They're gonna take away two in-conference games and replace them with two out-of-conference games. Now, I don't know when oh. that's going to happen. Maybe that happens soon, and that's what what uh, you heard. I don't, I don't know when that's coming into effect. But since these guys played in the regular season, the, the AFC West and the NFC South won't play again until 2024. I gotcha. Okay, that was my bad. Sorry, information on the, for the people watching this. I, I spread false news, so I'm sorry. <laughs> But that's 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 about all I have to be honest. I don't know if you have any other high level thoughts. It really came down to me. Bucks defense was elite as they've been most of the season, and that was, you know, even further uh, impactful because of the the Chiefs kind of iniquities iniquities at the, uh, the offensive line positions outside of center, and. Uh, at this I only point, have one last comment. At this point, Brady's looking almost immortal, right? We talked about it on Wednesday. Mahomes kind of had to have this game unless they get a rematch again in the next couple of years before Brady retires. Right now, it's looking like a tall task. But go ahead. I wa- my one last comment about this whole thing is overview. I'm looking, I'm looking into the future. I'm thinking about this game. I'm thinking about this season. I, I am predicting way too early that this is the – Super Bowl again next year. I could 100% Tampa's not getting any that. worse. Tampa's not getting any worse. And the Chiefs' O-line hopefully will start, be back next year. Mahomes is getting some surgery and some turf toe. Uh, I think this week or next week to start his off season. If you didn't know, he had turf toe. And so I just, that's my prediction already. I, I don't see anyone from the NFC coming in. And beating the Bucks, who are stupid good. And the AFC, I don't see anyone overall beating the Chiefs. So that's my last comment about this game. But overall, we we said defense defense wins championships, and that's what happened last night. I would have to agree with you. I think this is probably the most likely Super Bowl matchup for next year. I know, I, I think I saw with like the betting odds and stuff for some reason the packers are still the the betting the way too early betting favorite to make it out of nfc but that could all change if rogers leaves that's that's a discussion for another time so we'll just leave it at maybe we get round two next year only time's gonna tell and i think we now can safely move on forget about this game a little bit again 
Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, second ever Super Bowl. Tom Brady, his seventh ring individually. And uh, hopefully we get something as as uh, a better game next year. That's all we can hope for, yeah. right? We're going to talk some NFL honors now, Denver. Did you watch the, yeah. the live show? I did not. I did not watch the show. I just... I was busy, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I did not either. Obviously, I I care about it and, and kept up on it, but I did not watch the live show, so I didn't know if there were any special moments there. I was kind of interested in it just because, it, obviously, it was uh, at least a, a mostly socially distant event uh, that they did, I think, primarily at the, uh, the Rams-Chargers stadium. So uh, maybe I'll have to go back and, and catch some, some video of that. But anyway, moving on. We're getting right into it. We have, we're just going to run through the award recipients real quick, and then we will get into further discussion about them. So here we go. We're throwing it up on the screen for the visual audience. Assistant coach of the year. I didn't even know this was an award, but I'm glad it is because this man on the screen, Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, definitely deserved it. That offense was incredible this year. A big step up from where they have been. Good on him. All right, coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski from the Cleveland Browns. Big year out of them. Obviously making the playoffs, winning a game, almost winning a second game. Alex Smith, comeback player of the year. Shouldn't be any shock here. What this man did is absolutely incredible. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Defensive Rookie of the Year, another Washington football team player, Chase Young. Big stuff. Number two overall pick out of Ohio State. Offensive Rookie of the Year, another probably no shock here. You could have made uh, the argument for one other guy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Justin Herbert of the L.A. Chargers wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. Offensive Player of the Year, Derrick Henry for the Titans. Defensive Player of the Year, Aaron Donald of the L.A. Rams. And MVP, Aaron Rodgers, quarterback Green Bay Packers. And last but certainly not least, the Walter Payton Man of the Year was Russell Wilson of the Seattle Seahawks. All right, Denver, we're just going to run it all the way back. Start from the beginning. Any thoughts about Assistant Coach of the Year, Brian Dable? Didn't know that was an award. Good for him. I'm glad I'm glad they acknowledge assistant coaches. So uh, that's good. That That's my only take on that. And, I mean, he he the Bills had a great year, and offensively, they were good. So that's my take on that. Yeah, I don't think he's taken a head coaching job, and I'm not 100% sure if there are or how many there are still open, but I would expect this man within the next you know year or two, if he doesn't get one yet this offseason, he'll be a head coach very soon. All right, Kevin Stefanski. I mean, I this is just one of the, the better turnarounds in, in a while, right? Like, the Browns weren't awful last year, but it felt like they maybe underperformed based on what they had. This man comes in from Minnesota and all of a sudden they're a, they're a 10, 11 win team and upset the Steelers in the playoffs. Big year for the Browns. This is an example of changing culture within an organization and, and with your players. He comes in, 
he's more personable. He's more, he's more of a jolly guy. I would say he's, he's what the Browns really needed to succeed. So good for him. Change really. I think this head coaching changed how the Browns are going to be for a long time. I would so say the considerable future good. as a, as a Steelers fan. Now that, it's the Ravens who are always good. Now the Browns I have to worry about, and I'm assuming that Cincinnati will continue to build around Joe Burrow, and the Steelers are looking like they're going the wrong way. So that makes me very, very scared on a more personal note. Moving forward, I love this. Comeback player of the year, Alex Smith. This dude had, I don't even remember how many surgeries it was. I want to say like 17, just so that he could freaking walk no one thought he was gonna play football again gets cleared he comes in and he he's a big reason why Washington made the postseason now I understand that they only had a seven to nine record but you know that's good enough sometimes and and Alex Smith is definitely good enough sometimes I think I think Alex Smith coming back and you know coming from second string quarterback third string quarterback sometimes to win this award is a true testament to that man's character how he loves the game of football it's it's honestly a pleasure to watch that this year and i hope alex smith is able to take the redskins to maybe a winnable record at least for that division so yeah absolutely i think Honestly, throughout most of his career, he's been a little bit underrated. You know, when he was on the 49ers early on, um, they weren't great. And then he had that one year under whichever Harbaugh it was. Jim? John? I always get him mixed up. Anyway, yep. he had a good year, but then got replaced by Kaepernick. Um, and then got he got his shine with the Chiefs a little bit, but he's always going to remember be remembered probably as the the guy who helped get them to the point where then Mahomes could take over and and do what he's been doing. So to see him go down with that injury, I am very glad that didn't end up being the final moment of his career. Uh you know, he's he's getting up there in age a little bit. He very could have very easily could have just thrown it in um and, and retired and just moved on with his life, but for him to come back again, it just shows that this man has some unshakable character, and I'm, I'm in the boat that this this award needs to be named the Alex Smith Comeback Player of the Year Award in the future. Yes. Alrighty, moving on. Again, another Washington football team player gets an honor. Chase Young. Uh this is this was probably the easiest vote out of all of them, right? You'd imagine. May, maybe Alex Smith actually was was more of a landslide but chase young there wasn't a better defensive rookie than him this year absolutely not that's why he's here on this list i have one sentence about the defensive rookie of the year i can't name another defensive rookie of the year that was better than chase young and i can't even name another defensive rookie of the, of, of the year candidate that could compete against chase young the man's dominant the man's a force he's going to be He's probably going to be like Aaron Donald levels of good here at his peak. I really feel that. Absolutely. I saw so much talk early on this year about 
you know, he's already a bust. He's not getting the pressures that you get out of here with that shit, man. This dude was still, you know, he had no off season to speak of comes into the NFL and still, you know, he put up a respectable number of sacks for a rookie. And as the red, I almost said it. I almost said it. The Washington football team, as the Washington football team continues to get better, I think that will also elevate this man's level of play. I'm excited to see what he can do in the future. On the other side of the ball, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Justin Herbert. Did you feel like he was the most deserving of this award? I think yes. Only because Joe Burrow got injured. If Joe Burrow wouldn't have gotten injured, I think Joe Burrow would have been the offensive rookie of the year. But Justin Herbert is the, hopefully, hopefully he's not a one and done type guy, but hopefully he's able to take the Chargers to another level that they haven't been to in a hot minute. And winning this award, you know, is a confidence booster. It's really like, I'm here, I'm setting the tone, I'm your quarterback for the foreseeable future. And I really believe Justin Herbert at the end of the year did deserve this. Yeah, I think the only other rookie that had a, a really considerable chance was Justin Jefferson from the Vikings. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had an absolutely monster year. But, I mean, at the end of the day, there's nobody going to deny that it's a quarterback's league. So if you're a quarterback putting up the type of numbers that, that Herbert did, you know, he had a not only a good rookie season, he had a, a above average season for any NFL quarterback that that has to count for something. What I'm just going to say real quick is I have to, you know, kind of indirectly apologize to this man. I was a little bit down on him coming into the season. I really liked that Oregon team that he was a part of in college but after watching some of his bigger games for Oregon, I wasn't 100% certain that he would translate super well to the NFL. He has proved me wrong in a hot minute. He throws one of the most beautiful deep balls I've ever seen. This this man's going to be really fun to watch in the upcoming years if he, if he keeps it up. And so that's another thing I'm really excited for. Offensive Player of the Year, Derrick Henry. Your thoughts, Denver? If if you didn't say it in the last statement, this is a quarterback's league. This is this man. I he should have been the MVP to me. I Derrick Henry is a tank. I'm glad he translated well into the NFL because he's from Alabama, and Alabama is not known for having at least in recent years, great running backs translate into the NFL. Uh, Mark Ingram maybe is the best the best one they've had come out of that program here in recent memory. But I, I just love his physicality. I love what he brings to the table. This man really did deserve this award, and I'm very happy for him. Yeah, on that topic of uh, Offensive Player of the Year versus MVP, I'm very glad that the NFL struck a balance here. Now, I don't know if it's like a rule. I just honestly haven't paid attention is if like the MVP can't win offensive player of the year and vice versa. However, if they 
can, or if you're eligible to win both awards, I'm glad that the same person didn't win both. Because while we're on the topic of Derrick Henry, this man, what, he's one of now eight, I think, players to ever rush for 2,000 yards in a season. I mean, what he does, his style of running is so fun to watch. Because he's just, I mean, he's so big. And it doesn't make yeah. sense for him to move that fast, man. It just doesn't make sense. And <laughs> yeah, I just love watching him run, even if it's him running over, you know, other players that I I like. It's just, he runs with such aggression. And it, I just, I can't, I sound like a fanboy right here. And I really am because I, I love watching this man play. We'll get to the other side of this argument in a minute for the MVP side. But in between, we got Defensive Player of the Year. And this is Aaron Donald for the third time in his career. Here, here's what I'm going to say about this one. And this could get me a lot of slack because I know I know people think T.J. Watt was probably the better statistic, statistically overall. But I saw this video, right? And in this video, it shows three offensive linemen trying to guard Aaron Donald from their quarterback. You had to put two to three linemen on this man to make sure he doesn't get to you. That's, that's a presence right there. And I, I don't care what anybody says when you have that much, you have that hold on an, on an offensive line to be like, we need to put two to three guys on this man just to hopefully make sure he doesn't get to the quarterback that shows a lot statistically though they'll look at tj watt i think he could have easily won it he played out of his mind this year i just think that when you're looking at defensive player of the year just like you would look at maybe mvp in the nba like any award it's who has the most presence on that like side of the ball and i just think that's aaron donald I'm glad you brought up the the defensive player of the year to NBA MVP thing because otherwise I was going to do it. This to me, anyone who's ever had a conversation with me about Aaron Donald knows that I am as big an Aaron Donald fan as anybody. Though what this man does, he is the most dominant player in any sport that I've ever seen. Like it's actually ridiculous for a man who, for the position, is undersized a little bit. He's just Unfreaking believable. Now that being said, TJ Watt was robbed. In the NBA, now you were saying that it always goes to the player with the most presence. I completely disagree. In the NBA, you got stat patterns like Russell Westbrook and James Harden that are getting that are getting the MVP award and getting a lot of votes for the MVP award year in and year out. And, and what they do, they don't have the same presence. I mean, if if the NBA MVP was awarded to the man with the greatest presence every year, LeBron would be the 17-time the defending NBA MVP. Sometimes stats have to matter if you have an exceptional season. And for that reason, I think TJ Watt was robbed. And I know it's his brother coming to his defense here on the screen, but this is important to me. Uh, the quote from TJ Watt reads, Aaron Donald is an absolutely incredible player. I love watching him play, and he's headed to the Hall of Fame without question. This has nothing to do with AD personally. 
This is me saying what my brother won't. TJ played one less game and still led the NFL in every major category. Now, stat padding in the NBA is way different than, than what TJ Watt did this season. There's not really a way to stat pad in the NFL unless you're some quarterback racking up a shit ton of yards when your team is down by 40 every game, right? TJ Watt led the NFL for, for edge rushers and like interior linemen in literally all these categories on your screen that's green. And for the people who are listening audio only, that's... You know, sacks, tackles for loss, pressures, QB hits. He gives up forced fumbles to Aaron Donald, but he also had seven passes defense and a pick. So, you know, there's a little bit of a trade-off there. If you have this statistically dominant of a season, I think that has to count for something, and that's why I think TJ got robbed this year. That's not me as a Steelers fan talking. That's me as a, a dude who's trying to trying to strike a balance between dominance and and statistical like production. There's no doubt that both men have the statistical production uh you know relative to where they are. And and Aaron Donald is no doubt the more dominant player though TJ is incredibly disruptive if you ever watch a, a Steelers game. I just think that if you put up the type of numbers that TJ put up this year, you have to win the award. Unless someone did absolutely something nutty like, you know, a middle linebacker put up, you know, four picks, 200 and something tackles and, you know, a handful of forced fumbles or something crazy like that. Or maybe a, a cornerback like the other guy who probably had a, a case for it was Xavier Howard, the cornerback for for Miami, just putting up as many picks as he did. But stats have to count for something. Otherwise, why do you have them? I agree with you. I mean... I just, like I said, it, it's just pure dominance to me. I think you talking about it, you know, I can look at it in a different light, you know. It's just, it, yeah, he got robbed. It's one of those situations where if you look purely at stats, TJ Watt should have been your defensive player of the year. Well, and even just to take that one step further, and then I'll have said my piece. I think... Obviously, like I already said it, right? Aaron Donald is the most dominant athlete in any sport I've ever seen. But I think that undersells the amount that TJ can show in games. I mean, that man, for, for an, I know edge rushing versus interior linemen, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing to, you know, go one-to-one on, but... TJ does a lot of great stuff too. It's not like TJ is some wimp who has, you know, guys, you know, guys still double him, not to the same uh, frequency as Aaron Donald or anything like that. But to, to think that he has it easy, I think is, is underselling it. And again, I, I think he, he deserved to win this award even more so than he did last year when I felt like maybe he didn't even get the shine he deserved then but uh, we uh we've spent a little bit of more time on defensive player of the year than any other so we can move on now um to mvp this was aaron Rodgers. i think he deserved it again i th- i think there's got to be some sort of balance this year between the mvp and offensive player of the year i know obviously one is much more prestigious 
but both Derrick Henry and Aaron Rodgers had such phenomenal years. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league for how long now? And he still managed to put up what was just kind of a mind-boggling year. I think it was 48 touchdowns to only five picks and, you know, well over 4,000 yards. Just a great year. I have no disagreements. I have no arguments with you. I agree on every stat you said. Aaron Rodgers really did deserve to be the MVP for the NFL this year because the the boggling statistics that he did put up. I'm a real Bears fan. That's like my true team. And every time we play Aaron Rodgers, he has like five touchdowns, feels like. He deserved it. Great for him. I hope he stays in the league a little bit longer, but it'd be good enough to go off on if he were to decide to, you know, maybe step down or step away. Oh, I don't think there's any way he steps away, but we'll we'll, uh, we'll save that for another time. Last but certainly not least, the Walter Payton Man of the Year. This is obviously has nothing to do with what you do on the field, but that's kind of what I love about this award. You know, sports is so much more than just what you see on the field, and I feel like that doesn't get portrayed enough. So for the NFL to have this award and for it to mean as much as it does, you know, like you know, you hear a lot in the media about how much this award actually, you know, the, how much weight this actually holds to be kind of like the the most like incredible person in the NFL uh, means a lot. And Russ Wilson has been one of the the good guys in the NFL his whole career. So I don't think he's won it before. I could be wrong, but to see him win it this year, no, no real surprise here. And I'm, I'm glad that again, that just like the good guys get acknowledged. I do agree with you there. I think the, the Walter main man of the year award is the most prestigious award like you can have the mvp and that's great but like being known for like an actual person outside of what you're known for you don't take credit for it you just go do it i'm glad all 32 32 teams get to have a representative in this award i that's huge russ is really a good guy like you said there's not many in the nfl who are genuinely liked as much as russell and for what he did off the field, I'm very appreciative of that, even though I never received anything from him. The just the character you you learn about the man. And so congrats to him for that. The last little bit we'll do here about the NFL honors thing is we're we're gonna throw in the newest of uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame class in here. Um we have Alan Fanica, who was a guard for the Steelers, the Jets, and the Cardinals. Uh, Tom, I believe it was Tom Flores, who was a coach for the Raiders and I believe a couple other teams there for a while. Calvin Johnson, Megatron, love that. John Lynch, safety for the Bucks and the Broncos. Peyton Manning, everybody knows Peyton Manning. Um, Bill Nunn, who was a scout for the Steelers. Uh, Drew Pearson, who... I've seen a lot of memes about him whining his way into the Hall of Fame. That's kind of funny. And Charles Woodson. Denver, any high-level thoughts about these men? I am glad to see Megatron in there. I am glad that P 
Peyton Manning wasn't even like discussed. Like it was like, yep, he's in there. And Charles Woodson, you know, Charles Woodson gets I, I don't necessarily say overlooked a lot, but he, his presence was really felt. So for those three to be the main headliners of this this upcoming NFL Hall of Fame is really great. And this is a truly special class because I got to see three of these guys, four of them really, in my lifetime. So yeah, this is very interesting. You got a lot of different stuff here, right? I think Fanica has been in the in like kind of the in the wings waiting for a while. Like he's been eligible for several years, but just hasn't got the number of votes, but he, everyone kind of, you know, knows he's been deserving because uh, of the career he had. Uh, Calvin Johnson having a, a relatively short career, right, and and still making it as first ballot. That's not a shock at all, but that just is kind of a testament to how dominant he was for the short time we got to see him. Uh, love John Lynch, both as a player and a manager. He's just kind of a fun fun guy, especially now that you see him as the, the face of the 49ers. Everyone loves Peyton, no, no doubt there. And then uh, the other one that obviously we got to see is, is Charles Woodson, and he was so good for so long that and I don't really have anything to say in particular on any of these guys. I'm just I'm just glad we got a, a good Hall of Fame class, you know. And with that, I think that closes this segment of the podcast. Alrighty, folks. We're here, we're back, we're better than ever. And we're talking about the Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show featuring The weekend yesterday. And I gotta say, usually I'm, I keep my mouth shut about the halftime show. I just take it for what it is. I was a big fan of what went on yesterday. Now I am a, a pretty avid listener of The weekend. But I thought that was one of the better halftime shows in a while, considering the, the quality that we, we've gotten recently. What about you, Denver? I liked it. I thought it was okay for what it was, actually. I really enjoyed The weekend, but his newer stuff I'm not a super big fan of. So I'm glad he played the hits. <laughs> Made it much more enjoyable to listen to. Honestly, I really I did enjoy this this overall performance. I thought the... The little dancing got red dudes on the field is pretty cool. So that's my that's my thoughts on the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, he did a lot of really unique stuff. I'm gonna throw up on the screen right now some uh, some pictures from it. Just it was such a and usually the the production value of the Super Bowl halftime shows right is is great, but it it kind of varies greatly on like the quality of the actual performance. Again, he he played some of his old stuff. He played some of his new stuff. I I really like most of it. So last night was a blast for me. All all of the stuff that he played is stuff that I was really into. I'm I was not gonna be shy about it. I was definitely singing along. Uh, terribly not, but uh, that's that's <laughs> a different discussion. Uh, I I just thought that it was very refreshing to get a halftime show that I actually enjoyed watching. Because I, I'm still having flashbacks a little bit to um, like the the Justin Timberlake halftime show and the awkward moment with that that kid in the stands and uh, mm-hmm. like last year with with J Lo, um, we'll say to be 
more politically correct. It it was it was less about the music last year, right? <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, and just I don't know. Obviously, it makes it more enjoyable when people that you enjoy listening to outside of this setting are in it. But I was a, I was a pretty big fan of the halftime show this year, and like I said, just the 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 spectacle fit the weekend's aesthetic so well that I think it just upped the performance even further. This I'm is my this is my somebody. this is my favorite shot uh, of all of it. Just like the the main stage with those kind of intermittent spotlights coming down. Uh, sorry to I cut think you off. My ahead. favorite. My favorite part is that they actually went with someone who was like semi relevant to today's music. That's true. And fair. so that that didn't make it much more enjoyable. I thought I thought this setup right here with the um uh god, I don't even know dancing dudes. It looks like a stadium seating type thing. That's actually the buccaneer like ship. Like that's where it was in front of if people didn't know cuz he performed on that side of the field. So I was like, oh, man, they did that. That's cool. So, Yeah, again, we're just going to keep this real short and sweet uh, because obviously Denver and I, while we enjoy music, we're not, uh, you know, it's not like we're experts. We're just, we're just fans, of, uh, fans of entertainment, right? And yep. uh, I think if you – we can both say that if you're into his music or into music of that – of that type and you didn't catch the halftime show yesterday, I would definitely go check it out. I know the NFL has it on their YouTube. I might link that in the description of both editions of this podcast. And yeah, I think that's all we have for today. This has been another wonderful, wonderful episode of the Dirks in Denver podcast. I hope you enjoyed before we go. I'm just going to plug all our stuff again. You know, it's right down below me if you're watching the video product. Oh, there we go. There we go. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Dirk's Denver Pod. Uh, we're going to be posting more and more updates as we as we continue to ramp up this, this kind of production and stuff like that. Uh, you can look for the full episodes of these if you're joining us live. They will be recorded later today. On YouTube, you can search for Dirks and Denver Podcast, or on SoundCloud, you find us at soundcloud.com slash Pod. Again, thank you for joining us today. Denver, I'll throw it over to you for any final thoughts. Thank you for coming out. We appreciate the love and support. This was fun. We'll be back again Wednesday, I believe, so keep up on our social media for that. Love you. Thank you, guys. As we grow, you grow with us. Remember that. Peace and love. Wherever you are, wherever you're going, thank you, and we'll see you next time.